following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 7009-1000. Fair. And here's a quote from his article. I think this is so important for us to hear, and I think you can draw a straight line to our society today. Here's what he wrote. In communities where marriage is common, crime is much less common. Marriage is good for society. It's good for communities. Uh, marriage is good for personal finance. Research that was done in the United States found that married people average an 11% higher wage than singles do. A similar study done in Melbourne found that there could be as high a difference as 20% given to marriage alone. In other words, the same person doing the same job when he's married on average 20% higher wage. It just makes sense. Marriage is good for your finances. Vody Balkum summarized that portion of the matter like this. He said, married couples tend to earn more, save more, and build more wealth compared to people who are single or living together. Marriage is good for your personal finances. Marriage is good for the church. As we look at a church, by and large, as young people grow up, once they are, go into that portion of life where they are going to continue on as single, their tie to the church is not as great as if they were married with a family. Marriage is good for the church. Marriage is a very good thing. In fact, the book of Proverbs in chapter 18 and verse 22 says it like this, "...whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord." And all of the men said, Amen. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And not only finds a good thing, but also obtains favor from the Lord. And so marriage is a good thing. And yet it should not be entered into flippantly because this is a very serious matter. So many young people, perhaps ourselves even, have stepped into marriage as if maybe this is just the next thing that we're supposed to do in our life. We like each other, so maybe that's the thing we should do, and it is not to be entered into flippantly. Pastor Kerry Schmidt, in his book, Just Friends, I would highly recommend that book for you young people. You can find it online. In his book, he explained or gave an illustration of a young couple that got into a relationship too quickly. I'll read for you the series of events. On Sunday, Bill saw Sally at church, and he asked if he could sit beside her. That was on Sunday. On Monday, Bill called Sally on the phone and said that he liked her. On Tuesday, Bill went over to Sally's house and gave her a present. And now they are definitely, I'll bring it to our words, friending. On Wednesday, Bill told Sally that he loved her. On Thursday, Bill and Sally sat down and discussed their future together and maybe even their engagement. On Friday, Bill and Sally broke up. Never wanted to see each other again. And on Saturday, Sally had a birthday party. It was her 12th birthday, and she was just too depressed to go and attend her own birthday party. I think we take things really quickly sometimes. And sadly, like Bill and Sally, we keep them to ourselves. We don't get other people involved, and there's wisdom in speaking to others. And I hope that perhaps as a result of our spending time together today, we'll get an opportunity to see that there's a right way to do this. We've seen over the last two weeks that we need to take dating and marriage seriously. We talk about dating. The only reason to date is to find out if this is the person that I'm supposed to get married to. We don't date people just, I'm going to date this one and then I'll go date that one and I'll just go date that one. And No, the reason to date is to see, is this the one that I'm supposed to get married to? And then with that in mind, there would be biblical qualifications for a spouse. So I don't date somebody that is not evidently a believer. So that should be showing out in their life. 
They're evidence in their life that they are a believer. And then also parents, we spoke last week of the fact that we as parents bear a responsibility in this process. We don't get to just say, I'm going to turn them out and hope that they do well. I've done my best to train them to this point and I'm just going to let them go and see if they can figure it out on their own. We're turning them out to the wolves, brothers and sisters. We bear a responsibility in this process. Teach them while they're young to love and seek our advice in little things when they're small. Be involved with their lives when they're still small so that when they're big, we've built a relationship so that we can have these conversations. And please don't push our young people away, making them think that they have to be 35 years old out of university and established in a career before they can even think about dating because they're going to think about it. And if we're not careful, we will relegate that conversation to be taboo and we'll lose the opportunity to speak into it. So we bear a responsibility. I named this sermon a treasure map for those who are searching or those who are seeking a treasure map. And you've seen, I'm sure you've seen a treasure map. The old pirates had treasure maps. You know what I'm talking about? And on the treasure map... Inevitably, if you were to Google images of a treasure map, every single one of them, it's an island, right? It's always an island, and there's stuff on the map that means nothing, right? There's a little picture of a ship over on the side. There's going to be a compass there. There's going to be an X, right? And inevitably, you never see a treasure map that has, here's point A, here's point B, straight line. It's always, right? You've seen these, right? You know what I'm talking about? And as young people, children, we do these little treasure maps and we search for the treasure. And that's kind of what I want to do today. Today's journey will not be normal like what we normally do. Point A to point B, I'm going to walk through this. It's just a treasure map. We're going to be all over the place. You'll probably see that in your notes. We're going to be all over the place. And there might even be times when you go, wait, we're circling back and we're seeing this again. Just bear with me. Because those things that we come back and see again are very important. And so I will give some overarching three main ideas, and then with each main idea, I'll actually take kind of a sidestep and we'll look at some extra things that might be of help. I hope that it can be a help specifically for our young people. We have a good group of youth in our church, and when I say a good group of youth, I'm talking about a good group of young people in that 20 to 25-year-old range, some of you a little bit younger, some of you a little bit older, it's okay, but in that 20 to 25 year old range that you're actually right now going, how do I do this? And most of our, some 35 questions that came in for our life groups panel, most of them came from that group. And I'm very thankful because it tells me they're thinking and they're asking good questions. And so I want to help you out, you. But then I'm also targeting not just you, I'm hoping that mom and dad will listen because there's ways that mom and dad can help out as well. And then I'm also hoping that the younger ones will listen because I am hoping to establish a culture within our church that sets it up for 10 years from now when those 12-year-olds, like I said last Sunday, when those 12-year-olds come to 22 and they're trying to figure out how do I do this and who do I do it with, I want to make sure that they know there's an easy way to do this. And it's not complex and it's not something that we have to wrestle through. And so I'm going to hope to do this well. You bear with me this morning. The first thing I want you to see is, number one, be the right one instead of trying to find the right one. Be the right one instead of trying to find the right one. Pay attention here to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 down to verse 7. I said twice in the last two weeks that Ephesians 5 verses 22 and following is our longest passage on how husbands and wives should relate to each other. But realize that we don't get to magically just jump into verse 21 and 22 and not have any kind of a background to it. So before you can ever be a husband or a wife, you have to be a godly person. And so that's what the earlier verses in chapter 5 speak of. So let's read verses 1 down to verse 7. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children doesn't matter where you're at in life. Just like dear children, respect your heavenly Father. Be followers of Him and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering 
A sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Christ gave Himself for us, brothers and sisters. Walk worthy of that. He has loved us. Now we walk with love towards one another. Now verse 3. How not to walk. But fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be named once among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which is not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But be not ye therefore partakers with them. In other words, Christian friend, you should be living differently than the world lives. There's a way that the world lives, and you and I should not be living that way. He's very pointed with it in verse 3. Fornication and uncleanness and covetousness. Where does a heart of adultery find its roots? It's in covetousness because I have this and I want that. Fornication is rooted in, I don't have that yet, but that's what I want. And instead of spending your time seeking the right person, and by the way, over and over, and I'm glad you sent the questions, but over and over, the question came up, how do I know which one is the right one? Oh, brothers and sisters, be the right one instead of trying to find the right one. Now here's what I want you to grasp. If you're trying to find the right one, when you find one who you think is the right one, you're going to expect them to fill a void in your life that they were never expected to fill. God didn't design them to fill the hole in your life. Maybe you've heard this phrase. About 20 years ago, there was a movie came out. It became very popular. It's a very popular phrase. And couples use it all the time. I hear it all the time now. You complete me. Give me a break. No human being can ever complete you. God created you with a massive God-sized hole in your life. And only God can fulfill that. That comes straight out of Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. So God puts this great big void in your life and that void is called God Himself. And He goes, He's going to leave you seeking and searching and I need something to fill this void. And God goes, you know what? I'm making it that way so that there's only one thing that will ever completely complete you. It's me. I'm the one that will complete you. That's God speaking to us. And when you try to ask another human being to fill that void in your life, you're expecting them to be an idol that was never intended to be that way. You're putting pressure on somebody that they can never bear. Now, let me help you with this. If you're going to be the right one, you will stumble across the right one. Hey, Pastor, I don't understand that. I've been trying to be the right one and it's just not working yet. Hang on, hang on. You be the right one and God will do His part to bring the right one along your path. Pastor, what do you mean by that? I'll give an example. When you're being the right one, you're going to be hanging around other people who are also being the right one. So suddenly, you're going to find yourself surrounded by people who are trying to be the right one illustration of this. Maybe you've seen the drug body on the street corner. You know who he does not hang out with? You know who he does hang out with. He hangs out with other drug bodies, right? But you know who he doesn't hang out with? The police. He doesn't go and stand outside the police station and wait for them to clock out. Hey, how about the two of us go hang out some, spend some time together, right? They don't do that. Very different lines of thinking. And you and I, believers, if you're going to be the right one, you're not going to find the right one by going to where the wrong ones are. If you are going and spending your time at Cosmopolitan or the Gold Club or Octagon or Pentagon or all of my senses gone, 
You're not going to find the right one there. You can find the right one by being the right one. So be the right one. I am evidently a believer and I am putting on Christ-like characteristics in my life. And I'm going to focus on me being the right one in my spiritual walk. And I'm going to be seeking God. And then God, I'm going to let God be the one who brings somebody into my life. Uh, be careful. Going to seek the right one is only going to cause you heartache. It's going to be a lot of problems from that. I'll give you a couple of thoughts here that might be of help in regarding godly friendships. And I would say this, when I say friendships, godly friendships, I'm using kind of our understanding of the word friend. Um, and, and I'm talking about boyfriends and girlfriends, dating, that's what I'm talking about. So a couple of thoughts here, some principles. Godly friendship, first off, is a good thing. Godly friendship is a good thing. Proverbs 17 and verse 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and you've got... Hey, young people, I want you to hear some freedom from your pastor. Having a boyfriend is a good thing. Having a girlfriend is a good thing. Your pastor isn't going to go, why are you doing that? Now, hey, you go down there and find a boy at the gold club. I'm going to ask you, why are you doing that? You find yourself a boyfriend in church. I'm going to go, that's a good thing. A friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This is going to help your soul. This is a good thing. My best friend in the whole world is my wife. Oh, I love her. She's wonderful. And she's my best friend. There's nobody in the world that's closer to me than my wife. Right now, she's in the States. I'm going to join her later this week, this time next, next week. I'm going to be together with my wife. I'm going to say hallelujah. I'm going to miss you guys, but I'm not going to be missing her anymore. And about a week before she left, we are laying there in bed. I had my arm around her. We're watching TV. And I had my arm around her. She had her head on my shoulder. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I, I'll be honest. I haven't got a clue what we were watching. We're spending time together. And I completely lost track of whatever we were watching on TV. It didn't, I didn't care. And I'm laying there and I got my arm around her. And I started to actually get a little bit emotional as I thought about the fact that my wife is going to be gone. I'm going to be away from her for two weeks. I thought to myself, I can't imagine. Two weeks is so hard. I just thought to myself, what in the world would my life be like if God decided that He would take her home to be with Him? It just shattered my mind. Young people, that's what you want. You want a relationship with your husband or your wife where that's the best friend in the world. You don't look to push them away and look for, I'm going to go get me another friend or work wife. Give me a break. There's no space for that. A godly friend is a good thing. And by the way, attraction is a godly thing too. It's a godly thing. God created you that way. Think back to the garden. God created Adam and He created Eve. And when you walk through Genesis 1 and 2, you'll get to see over and over God created. And every time He created, and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And you know what he ended up saying? There's Adam all by himself having named all the animals in the garden. And the Bible says there was no one who was found to be a helpmeet to Adam. And God said, it is not good that the man dwell alone. Oh my goodness. You've got, it was good, it was good, it was good. And now God goes, and that one's not good. I'm going to make a woman for him. And this is a good thing. Godly attraction, attraction, physical attraction to a godly spouse is a good thing. And by the way, Hebrews 13.4, I won't go into detail here, but Hebrews 13.4 says marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. And so there's a right way to go about it. And so that gives me the third thing here. Godly friendships... Uh, sorry, uh, God, second thing, godly friendships should be guided by biblical principles. There are boundaries within dating relationships. You saw it there in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Let it not be named once among you as become as saints. Act like saints. You're not married? 
Hebrews 13.4 is not for you. You wait. When you're married, it's very much for you. Number three, godly friendships are primarily about fellowship. Primarily they're about fellowship. And we spend time together, boyfriends and girlfriends, you spend time together. And then as a result of the time that you've spent together, when you're apart, you've been edified, you've grown, you've been encouraged by your time together. I find it troublesome when I see a relationship that is me-focused. Here's what I mean by that. Oh, I need him to be with me. That's me focused. Or I need him to tell me that I'm pretty. Or I need to hear his voice. Or I need her to be close to me. That's me focused. That's not about fellowship. That's about you're going to be the one who completes me. And without you, I'm just going to be broken. No, that's not the way that fellowship works. Fellowship is we're going to spend time together and I'm going to speak into your life and I'm going to edify you. And at the same time, you're going to be edifying me and together we're going to grow together. That's what a mature relationship looks like. By the way, husbands, it should be that way beyond dating. It should also be that way in your marriage. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands dwell with them. That's your wife according to knowledge giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. I hope that you'll hear that well. Husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Your relationship with your wife should be one of fellowship. It shouldn't be one where you sit back and expect that she serves you. No, you come into the house looking for ways to serve her. Love her. Show her that you care. Even as Christ loved the church and doesn't sit back and expect the church to serve Him. No, we should be stepping up. And notice the end of verse 7, 1 Peter 3, 7, the end of the verse, that your prayers be not hindered. In other words, men, your relationship with God hinges directly on your relationship with your spouse. Oh, your fellowship should be edifying Our friendships are primarily about fellowship. And then lastly, under that topic, is godly friendships are leading somewhere intentionally. Godly friendships are leading somewhere intentionally. This dating time period is a time when you two get to know each other. And here's the beautiful thing about about dating. You're getting to know each other without having made any covenant promise to spend the rest of your life together. Young people hear me well. There is no covenant promise to be together for the rest of your life until you get married. So just because you're dating this guy, or guys because you're dating this girl, does not mean that the two of you are now together for the rest of your life. You're only dating. And the reason for dating is to find out, is this the one I'm supposed to get married to? And when you find out there are problems... It's better to go your separate ways than for you to keep on dating and string this along for no good reason. And so friendship has an intentionality to it. So intentionally, we're getting to know each other better. And by the way, just side note here, there is no such thing for Christians as friends with benefits. No space for that. That's called fornication. It's sin. There's a reason for dating. The reason for dating is so that you can find out, is this the one I'm supposed to get married to? We're going to get to know each other. I'm going to hear, how is it when he gets upset about something, how does he handle that? Because there might be some things he does and says that just rub me the wrong way and this is not going to work for us. It's okay to break up. He might not know how to brush his teeth. You might want to know that. She might not know how to take a bath. He maybe doesn't have a spiritual walk that's going to lead you closer to Christ. And definitely he won't teach your children to love Jesus. That's important to know. And just because you're dating doesn't mean you're stuck with him for the rest of your life. That's not until you're married. There are some other things that you might want to know about. Maybe... He doesn't want any children. And maybe she wants 15. You guys need to talk about that. 
before you get married because that's going to bring a, be a big problem. Uh, right now, I'm doing pre-marriage counseling for Braxton and Brianna. We've done four sessions out of seven. I do this with every couple that I do pre-marriage counseling with, seven sessions. And in the series of seven sessions, they have about 70 questions they have to answer. Those 70 questions are things that you probably didn't think about, but are very important. The very first question on the list is, what do you believe about everything? So you think about every doctrine there is in Scripture. So the assignment is, young man, you take these 10 questions for this week, and you go answer them by yourself. And she's going to go and answer them by herself. And then the two of you are going to sit down together before next week's session. And the two of you are going to discuss what are your answers and what are your answers. And you're going to find out where you're the same and you're going to find out where you're different. Now, guess what? I love Braxton and Brianna. I'm sorry to give you, use you guys publicly as an example, but I think it's the best one for right now. They are engaged. He's asked her to marry him. They're engaged. They're going to get married. My son-in-law-to-be two weeks from today and my daughter are engaged. They're still in that dating relationship. These guys are still in that dating relationship. They are not married until they get to the wedding. After the wedding, it's too late to find out that we have irreconcilable differences. This is the time to find that out. And guess what? If these guys come to question number 47 and they realize I can't give on this and he can't give on this, guess what? Free pass. This isn't divorce. They just part and go their own ways. It's that simple. And we'll talk about how to do that well in a few minutes. But guys, let's be careful. There's an intentionality that should be in our dating relationships. Second thing you see in your list here, second thing is to seek godly counsel for your soul. So first in this treasure map, be, be the right one instead of trying to find the right one. Second one, seek godly counsel for your soul. I won't have you turn there, but Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14 says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Twice in the book of Proverbs, that statement is made, there is a multitude, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. It's an interesting thing that happens for young people when they fall in love. They get rose-colored glasses and put them on. You know what I mean by that? All they can see is the good about the other one. Oh, his hair is just, oh, I just love the way it sits on top of his head like a mop. And oh, her eyes and his smile, when he smiles, it just lights up the room. And it's the only things they can see about each other. There's safety in a multitude of counselors. You can speak with your parents because your parents are going to be seeing things that you don't see. His hair sitting like a mop is not what your mom and dad are paying attention to. Her smile is not what your pastor's paying attention to. There are people in your life that God has given you to be counselors to help you to understand there's a bigger picture than just what's making your heart go pitter-patter. And so there's a reason to seek counsel is because you can't see it all. Ephesians chapter 6, just across the page, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So even though you're 25 and you think you've got it figured out and you think that he might be the right one, and you think that maybe mom and dad are going to put the kibosh on it, it's still good for you to go to mom and dad and honor them. We said it last week, before you even start dating, have him go and ask permission. It will be her future spiritual head showing her present spiritual head the respect he deserves. Honor your father and mother. Seek counsel. Ask counsel of your pastoral caregivers. Hebrews 13.7 and verse 17 both say that the pastors give account for your souls. I don't take that lightly, brothers and sisters. If you found yourself in an issue that I've come, become aware of 
you will probably know firsthand experience. I will ask you, let's sit down and talk about this. Because if I'm going to give account for your soul well, I'm going to end up standing before God one day and He's going to go, how come I put this flock under your care and you didn't take care of them well? I don't want to stand before God and say, well, I just didn't want to get in their business. No, I want to do it well. And so if you're going to seek godly counsel, you got mom and dad that can be a part of this. The pastoral care team can be a part of this. Oh, there's plenty of ways to get counsel. And there might be things that we would see that you don't see. I promise you, you come and ask me, Pastor, what do you think about that guy? I promise I'm not going to knock you down for saying something. I might ask you something. Probably the first question I'm going to ask you would be something like this. Is he evidently a believer? Even if I know his testimony, I'll probably still ask that question. Is he evidently a believer? And if you even hesitate for a moment, I'm going to know that you're going down the wrong path. Because if he's not evidently a believer, he's off limits. Oh, I pray that our young people will grow up with this permeated in our thoughts that I'm going to make sure that I'm marrying a believer because this is going to have a lot of ramifications for my children and my grandchildren. Think multi-generationally. So there are some red flags that I, as a pastor, look for. Maybe moms and dads, you can take these and and apply them for yourselves. There are some red flags. I'll walk through these quickly. How do they treat their siblings or their parents? Girls, if that guy disrespects his mom, the day will come when he'll disrespect you. Guy, have a look at the way that she pays attention to what her dad says. Because how she treats her dad is how she's going to treat you. You're going to take dad's place. The day's coming. You're going to take dad's place as her spiritual head. And if she doesn't give respect to her spiritual head now, she's not going to submit magically because the two of you said, I do. How does she treat her siblings? How does he treat her, his siblings? This are, these are important things. If there is... If there's a disrespect within the home now, there's going to be a disrespect within the home later. These are red flags to be watching for. Do they get jealous quickly? If he has planned a family event and he's going to go be with his family and it doesn't involve being with you, do you get jealous about that? Red flag. But the need to be in constant contact can be a red flag. Easily being offended by one another. That becomes a big red flag for me. If you're constantly, in a, if you're in a dating relationship and you're constantly, every time you come together, you're offending each other, guys, we're supposed to be esteeming others better than ourselves, not coming into the relationship looking for ways that the other one just offended me. So if you're constantly having to ask, what's wrong? What's wrong? Come on, grow up. We're not little ones anymore. We should be looking for ways to edify each other. This relationship should be intentional. We're growing each other up in Christ. I'm trying to help you. Not trying to look for ways that... Why are you mad at me today? Physical touch. That's a big red flag. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. We read that this morning in our Scripture reading. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good. And every single one of us that's an adult has every understanding of why that would be. I don't think it gets any clearer. There shouldn't be physical touch going on during the dating relationship. Another one would be a loss of interest in spiritual matters. So if you're the right one and she's the right one, you're both already seeking spiritual matters. You're both seeking to be right with God. There shouldn't be a lack of spiritual interest because the two of you began dating. Instead, there should be an increase in spiritual matters. One more I don't know if it's on your list. Any physical abuse, any physical abuse is a massive, I'll say not red flag, it's a great big red banner, might as well call it a roadblock. I think any physical abuse during the dating relationship should be a reason for breaking off the relationship. Any physical abuse. I don't say verbal, mental, because sometimes we have a tendency to blur those lines. But physical abuse is definitely a no-go in a dating relationship. It should be a no-go in our marriage relationship. 
But if physical abuse is going on during dating, it will definitely happen during marriage. Girls, listen to me. I want you to hear me well as your pastor. If he lays his hand on you while you're dating, I guarantee he'll hit you harder when you're married. So hear me say it again. While you're dating, you're not married. So congratulations. If he hits you, it's over. There is no, well, I really love him and he didn't mean it and I think that maybe next time it'll be different. It won't! I promise you. And, and by the way, if he forces himself on you, it's over. If he forces himself, I've heard this, oh my goodness, in counseling, in counseling with young ladies, I've heard this, oh, he forced himself on me and then he threatened that if I told anybody, he would hang himself. He's a baby. You need to go to the police. And you need to take your dad with you to the police. There's a thing that happens there that's legally called rape. And he deserves to be in prison. Do not allow this to go on, brothers and sisters. Young people, please hear me. Physical abuse, any physical abuse is not just a red flag. It is grounds for it's over. And it's not even, it's over and we're going to put you in time out and later on we'll revisit this. It's over. You've abused her. You don't have any right. He's abused you. He doesn't have any right to ever have a relationship with you again. It's over. Please. I know our society speaks differently. But we need to grow up and think about this biblically. Let us not allow this to go on. So what if you do need to break off the relationship? What do you need to, how, how do you do that? There's a reason it's called dating. It's not called marriage because dating is not permanent. Marriage is. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That's marriage. Dating, there's still a permission. There's still a way apart. So what do you do if you have to break it off? First off, I highly encourage you, get a pastor or a parent involved with you in prayer and for your accountability. Here's what I mean. You talk to a pastor, you see there's this red flag, there's this irreconcilable difference between the two of us. And I'm going to have to talk to them and get this taken care of, um, but if you talk to a pastor or a parent, you're receiving counsel into your life to hear, yes, these reasons that I need to break it off are valid. And so you're going to receive that counsel. And you'll also, hopefully, you'll be receiving prayer for you in the moment because that's not going to be an easy thing to do. And then you're going to also receive accountability. And here's what I mean by accountability. Because when I find out that you're going to be talking to that young man or that young lady and breaking off the relationship, I'm going to come back around and talk to you about it. Because there's a really good chance that when you go to break off the relationship, you're going to sit down with him and you're going to chicken out and you're going to back out of it. And having someone with some accountability to be able to follow up, you're going to go, I know pastor's going to ask me about this, so I'm going to just go ahead. I'll use Brother Phil's words. He uses this phrase a lot for a lot of different situations. So I'm going to just rip that Band-Aid off. I'm going to go and sit down, and I'm going to just rip that Band-Aid off and get it over with. Because I know that there's somebody who cares enough about me to ask about this later on. So get somebody else involved. Someone who cares for your soul. Another thing is be clear and make the conversation short. So don't do it over SMS or Messenger. Duh. Don't do that. I asked my girls this morning, how would that happen in the current generation? How would you say over text messaging, I'm done? And Hannah helped me very easily. Something to the effect of new year, new life, new phone. Who are you? <laughs> That's not the way to do it. It's probably not even good to do it over the phone. It's best to do it face-to-face. -face. If you need to, take somebody along, a parent, a pastor, somebody that cares for your soul, a very good friend who cares for you deeply. Do it short. Don't drag it out. Get to the point. Don't drag out a long discussion at the end of it. Oh, by the way, we're over. See you later. <laughs> That's not how to do it. Be very care careful and be very intentional with your words. 
If you need to, you can share why it is that you need to break off the relationship, but don't drag it on. It's not an argument to be had. The decision is already made. And so I need to break off this relationship with you because I'm not getting closer to God. My pastor said that he thinks that this isn't a good relationship. Feel free, toss that back on my shoulders. I don't mind carrying it. The third one is don't make unnecessary promises of the future. One of the worst things that you can do in this moment, you're trying to break things off, one of the worst things that you can do is string out an unnecessary promise of the future. Something like, well, you know, it's not working right now, but if you, we'll just take a break. And if you'll work on you and I'll work on me, maybe we can do this again in the future. Just don't do that. Don't do that. You'll leave them in a place where they're expecting something that's not there. So just break it off. Make it clean. Number three, and we're almost finished. Observe biblical boundaries in your relationship. Observe biblical boundaries in your relationship. I want you to see 1 Timothy chapter 5. I think I've got it on the board, but if you have a minute and look over at it, I want you to see it in the Scriptures as well. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 help us with how we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, should be treating one another. 1 Timothy 5, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, who is a young man. And Timothy, he writes to Timothy, he says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Treat older men, this is what he's saying, Timothy, you've got older men in your life, treat them like fathers. And then he continues on, younger men, treat them like brothers. We say that quite often around here, we are a faith family. We trust Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a faith family. So we treat the older men like fathers, younger men like brothers. Now verse 2, how do you treat the women? Elder women as mothers and younger as sisters. Note this, with all purity. So there are only, and, and I'll help you here, there are only two ways to interact with someone of the opposite sex. I'll use men, easy for us to use because of the verse. Men, there are only two ways to interact with a lady. Only two ways. One, she is your mother or sister, or she's your wife. And guess what? There's only going to be one wife. You're going to make that one pretty obvious. Everybody will know it. This is my wife. I've made a promise to look after her and care for her, and I'm going to, till death do us part, be married to her, and everybody else is my sister. And guess what, guys? If you haven't gotten married yet, you don't have a wife. So every one of them, including your girlfriend, is your sister. You follow that? And there are certain things you would never think of doing to your sister. And you shouldn't do that to your girlfriend. The Bible is very clear here. There's only two ways to look at a lady. She's my sister or she's my wife. I only have one wife. So the rest of them are all sisters. And this is how we act towards one another, observing biblical boundaries in our relationship. And why is this so very important? Because if you're being the right one, and you're coming to the place where you're going to find other people who are going to be the right one. You're going to find yourself in a dating relationship with someone else who wants to do it right. You're wanting to do it right. They're wanting to do it right. And you guys are into a dating relationship now and you're getting to know each other and you're getting to know each other well so that maybe, perhaps, you're the one I'm supposed to get married to. And as long as you treat each other like a brother and like a sister... You're going to have a really good godly relationship. But if you cross the line and you become physically intimate, guess what will happen if the two of you break up? You're going to have a very hard time coming and worshiping together. One of you will sit on the one side of the church and look across at the other side. The other side. Now I'm a new girlfriend. I'm going to make one. I'm going You see what I mean? 
How you act in your dating relationship will directly impact your spiritual relationship. The goal would be a young man following God, being the right one, and a young lady following God, being the right one, and they begin to, with intentionality, begin to date each other, and then maybe God's got something for them, but then they see we have irreconcilable differences. The way I think and the way she thinks are totally different, and we're not going to be able to make this work, and we have to break up this relationship, but we've been God-honoring in everything that we've done, and they're able to break up with one another, and they're able to go date somebody else, and they're still able to come to the same place to worship, and they're still, with a clear heart, able to worship God without having anything between them and another brother and sister. Oh, this is vitally important for your spiritual walk. So let me close with quickly, what do I do if I have a past failure? How do I handle that? Quickly, first, confess your sin before God. 1 John 1, 9, very easy. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't use that as a license while you're dating. Don't use that as a license. But rest in the grace of God. Jesus went to the cross for your sin, and you don't have to do anything to pay that back. And God promises that He will forgive. And so if there is this past, okay, confess it to the Lord. Secondly, learn from it. Learn from it. So what do I mean by that? We'll look back and say, okay, yeah, in that relationship, there was sin there. Okay, what did I do? How did, what was my part in that sin? And how can I avoid that when I go into this next relationship? How can I avoid doing those same things? Maybe there's some things that you need to put in your life, like accountability to somebody else who's going to call you out on a regular basis. Or maybe there's some things you need to put in your life, like the two of us are just not going to ever find ourselves alone. We're going to be very careful and intentional about making sure. It's one of the things I love about Braxton and Brianna. They both live here on campus, and when they want to spend time together, you'll find them sitting at this picnic table, or they're sitting at a table in front of her house. You won't find them off by themselves alone. You know what they've done? They've honored God in their relationship and saying, we're going to make sure that what we do is forthright. I'm thankful for that. I have every intention and hope that the two of them are going to get married at Christmas. I'm excited for them. But the truth of the matter is, if something happens and they find themselves at irreconcilable differences, they're not going to have the regret of, oh boy, this happened. And they're not going to be able to come and worship together. So if you find yourself, I've done this, and I've, how do I do this better? Confess, and then learn from your mistakes. Don't fall into the same thing again. And apologize. Oh, that's going to be difficult. Apologize to the person that you sinned against. Go back. Revisit it. I got this right with God. Now I need to get it right with man. And that might be a difficult conversation. Hey, what we did was wrong. But I want to be right with God. And in order for me to be right with God, I want to make sure that I'm right with you and I'm sorry about what I did. But going forward, I want to be right with God. And so I'm never going to allow myself to be back in that spot. The fourth one, talk to your parents, pastor, or a counselor for help in restoration. Guys, there is no shame in admitting that you're not okay. The scripture that we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, every sin that you commit is outside the body, but fornication is the one sin that happens in your body. That's why we naturally put it in a class of its own. And so with that comes a wound to your soul. And if you need to talk to somebody about that, do it. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in talking to somebody. Listen, guys, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. So talk to a counselor pastor, parent, talk to somebody and get that off your chest. Move on. And then lastly, put it behind you and move on. Put it behind you. Here's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. I hope this will help you to frame your way of thinking. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things. God didn't design you to leave you wallowing in a sin that you committed 20 years ago. 
in a moment of weakness. God's designed you to live victorious. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So pick up and move on. You don't have to stay there and wallow. And oh, there can be healing for your soul. I hope that you can find it. So moms and dads, let's be committed to having these discussions. Young people, invite mom and dad into this discussion. Moms and dads, can I please beg you? Don't make it a terrifying thing. We can do better with this. And overall, let's grow the relationships in our home that will make this conversation happen much more naturally. Father, I pray that you would help us in this area. Oh, there are so many things to discuss. So many pitfalls. So many things that we can trip up on and find ourselves carrying baggage years later. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to put that sin aside, label it as sin, get it right, and then be able to set that down at the cross and walk on with glory, filling our soul because of what you've done for us. I pray that you would help us as moms and dads to foster relationships with our children, yes, even while they're small, so that when they get bigger, it's natural for us to have these conversations. And then, Lord, I pray for our young people, many of them, making these decisions even now. I pray that they will take some of these tips, bring them in, apply them to their lives, and not be afraid of them. And Lord, I pray that this generation of young people would help set a standard for the next generation of young people. For Lord, I know we are not that far away from having a whole group of little ones that have grown up in this church. And I pray that we would have made it very clear for them. I ask these things in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.